the god of hellfire and I bring you fire. just heard fire from arthur brown from the album the crazy world of arthur brown this is the proto metal prologue recommend podcast i'm mark and i'm jason yeah so this is uh this is kind of a cool little uh like i said prologue show it's probably not going to be a full-length uh show but it will kind of introduce essentially what we're going to be doing for our episodes 191 uh all the way to our very important i guess in the eyes of you know i guess us as a sense of accomplishment episode 200 yeah. you know which we'll we'll get to in the, in the forthcoming months um and you've heard us kind of talk a little bit about the countdown um the history heavy metal countdown that i put together just over like the last couple of years but i really sort of uh you know did a lot of work in the last year year and a half or so and so mark and i sort of talked about what would be a cool thing to do you know, to, to get to our episode 200, because if you, uh, if you've been a fan for a long time, you may remember that we did a 10 part countdown leading to episode 100, where we looked at the, the sort of most important years in, in metal history, the, the crucial years, crucial of years of metal history. Okay. Yeah. And we sort of looked at that more from an angle of, uh, 
probably more on the extreme metal side, I would mm-hmm. say. Yeah. You know, I think we, we centered around 1989, 90, and 91. I believe those were our top three years. I'll take your word on it, yeah. Yeah, and I think 86 was, like, number four. I I, I looked recently. That's the only reason I remember. Plus, well, Jason's I, a stats guy. He ran the shit. <laughs> yeah. I have a... I, I'm a picture feeling. I'm a his, guy. I'm a history guy, so I I remember names and dates, even though I tell my kids like don't worry about it, like just know the story. But I I can remember these silly details to stuff. And then Chris, who joins us sometimes, is mm-hmm. the pronunciation guy. He he knows all the Norwegian and Swedish pronunciations. I don't. I think sometimes he's bullshitting us. <laughs> hey, he sells it well, but he's, he's yeah, confident. He's yeah, confident. He's, he's got. I tell my kids that too. I said, you know, sometimes like I don't know what I'm talking about, but as long as I convince you that I know what I'm talking about, yeah. like that's all that matters. Sometimes. As long as you're not outright lying or being deceptive, yeah, no, you're, no, you're no. fine. And a lot of times, it's kind of, uh, one of the things I'll do with my students is if they ask me a question that I don't know, I'll be like, ah, oh, let me look into that because I'm not sure. You know, I'm like, oh, I have no idea, and then I gotta Wikipedia yeah. or Google it or something. So good question. Let's get. Yeah, that's a great question. We'll come back to it later. You know, it's like parenting. You have to like you white lie kids to like guide them to where they need to be. You know? Yeah, if it's a kid who asks you like a thousand questions a day of why is this like that, like after a while you're like I don't know if they're like just a inquisitive kid. Yeah, let's look it up together. Let's, let's look it up together. It. Yeah, yeah. One, or sometimes I'll actually say, I mean, because nowadays everybody's got a smartphone in my classroom. Yeah, hey, just look it up. Let me know what you find out. Mm-hmm. You know, we do that a lot in my global studies class when we're talking about like current events and news stories, and we're talking. You know, one kid will be like, I heard such and such in the news. I'm like, somebody look this up. Like. I, yeah. I don't want to weigh in because I don't know. I don't I don't see every article or whatever, you know. So but um a lot of fake news out there, guys. Yeah, there is actually we just finished our fake news uh unit. So they're having to go out and explore fake news and It's everywhere. Doing a news watching project. It's it's good. I, I kind of believe that every high school should require a media literacy class to graduate now because I think it's that important. Sure. Because we're we're facing a, a really weird landscape of of information that kids aren't really adequately armed to know how to deal with you know? and we're we're in an era where you don't people don't necessarily like you know annotate anything anymore mm-hmm. like it used to be walter cronkite he's the guy that yeah, yeah he's yeah. not gonna lie to you he'll tell you the truth you had trust you had like centers of trust you yeah. know and those are kind of gone They're but now it's like okay you have a satire site you have you know like a vice thing and you have this thing like what yeah. What's what? You know, exactly. you gotta read three things to figure it out. Exactly. But. So um but anyways we uh you know we we've talked about that problem about, here. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's all it's all non fake news here. Um we we do offer in, informed opinions though. Yes. So, you know, nothing what we say is 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 um set in stone. It's just definitely our, our viewpoints on things and one of the ways we, we decided to kind of approach this was to kinda of composite and look at our own um our own years as we sort of go into things. All right. So let me, let me make some sense of it before we, we dive too deep into it. So I wrote some notes down that I kind of shared with Mark before, but I guess when I was looking at this, this countdown that I did, uh, this history of heavy metal, which right now it's, it's topped about 4,000 songs and it goes to, to 2017, you know, it starts, we'll be with, doing 1000 songs. Yes. Yeah, so. yeah. Uh, it starts with some of the blues and things like that, but it really obviously, you know, picks up some steam in the mid sixties, which is kind of when, you know, post Beatles British invasion is really where the guitars got louder and you can kind of start to see the, the roots of, of metal a little bit. But I guess, you know, this is one of those ongoing questions that metalheads have always asked, which is the origins of heavy metal. You know, is it 1967 when Hendrix debuts? Is it 66 when you get clapped in with cream and Jeff Beck with the Yardbirds? 
You know, 68, Led Zeppelin shows up. Blue Cheer shows up. 69, you get MC5, King Crimson. You know, or do you go all the way to 1970 with Black Sabbath and Deep Purple and stuff like that? You or know, do you so, go all the way to Judas Priest when they yeah, identify when, it? when they identify it, you yeah. know. I mean, so it's this debate is over the origins has always been something that, you know, it's a, a nice barroom conversation for metalheads, and, and certainly people like Sam Dunn have explored it with uh, his metal evolution and different things it's like, like it's that. It's a starting off point. It's just a base, or a st- maybe a starting point for conversation. It's not like yeah. a, it's not historical Bible truth because there's no way to... No one, no one knows, you yeah. know. I mean, technically, uh, William Burroughs used the term heavy metal in one of his his you know books and stuff like that. And Stefan Wolf said it in Born to Be Wild, but it was about a motorcycle. And yeah. you know, so like, there's all these different kind of things there. Um, all these subcultures coming together that you know, biker culture and bondage culture. Like, it's not it's not just like a clear point for sure. Like, I, I don't know if any music really is, but like, disco- I guess discovering, or talking about classical music, it comes from, you know, like, chamber music, or mm-hmm. there's a very linear path. Heavy metal is like... Well, heavy metal is like rock and roll, or blues, or whatever. It's like, when did the blues stop being the blues and become rock and roll? Like, we we, we explore that question in my, my rock history class, and kind of where I center on, I'm sure other people have different opinions, is there's a song that was recorded in Sun Studios before it became Sun Records, mm-hmm. um, and it was called Rocket 88. And it had Ike Turner on piano, um, and it's, uh, Jackie Brenton was the, the name of the artist. I think he's the the guy that wrote it. And uh, what's different is it's basically upbeat rhythm and blues, the same as what was happening like the day before. But when those guys like uh, were unloading their equipment, they they drop some of the speakers and, and uh, amps and stuff like that, like and it created cone or something, created or? some like distortion in it. And then the lyrics are about driving around in your car chasing women. Which was like teenagers, so you mm-hmm. know, like to me, it's it's not so much a musical thing. It's like when the lyrics intent sort of changed from being like about the misery of like being an older like black dude to like talking about things teenagers gave a shit about. You know sure. what I mean? So like we, it's anyways. It's just one of those like conversation starters, like kind of like what you were saying. Yeah. You know, but I guess what we decided to kind of look at is you know you can debate over the origins. But no one debates kind of how awesome like these formative kind of proto extreme metal years are, uh, from like kind of really the era of the the late '60s until kind of the beginning of kind of mainstream heavy metal. And so, one of the impetuses for me doing the whole like history heavy metal thing was this decibel issue that came out. Um, I think it was their special issue in 2016. It was the like. It was a lot of the 70s and early 80s records um, that they did. I think Number of the Beast was number one. Um, oh, the classic that, heavy metal was it, was, was that what it was called? Classic heavy metal? Old school heavy metal. Old school, yeah. yeah. And so I guess what our approach with this is, is we're kind of looking at old school heavy metal a little bit. Because, you know, heavy metal and these type of things weren't really like accepted terms until, like you said, Priest kind of started to adopt it a little bit more. And we kind it was of like a pejorative term, like just like this is shit. It's heavy metal. Yeah, like, I mean, nobody, even like Deep you know. Purple and Black Sabbath didn't really, really ad- want to identify necessarily as heavy metal bands. You mm-hmm. know, they they were okay with it, but it, that's not how they would define themselves. And I think there's some truth to that. When you listen to some of the stuff that they were doing, they were doing just like blues rock and jazz improvisations. It was just and, heavier. Know, it was just heavy. Yeah, yeah, you know, and there's reasons for that with Tony Iommi and tuning and all that kind of stuff. Fingertips and exactly. <laughs> And so we kind of pondered this, like, when did the modern era of heavy metal sort of begin? And the year that I sort of settled on, I kind of sold Mark on this idea, um, is 1983. 
1983 is kind of when a couple of things kind of simultaneously happened. One being that metal sort of went simultaneously very commercial when Come On, Feel the Noise from Quiet Riot was the first metal song to top the, the Billboard charts and singles. And then Motley Crue released uh, you know, Shout Out the Devil, and that kind of started to propel them into the mainstream. MTV really kind of took heavy metal in 1983. And then at the same time, the underground sort of lit a flame in a whole different way with the debut of, of Metallica and Slayer and the beginning mm-hmm. of kind of the, the big four thrash movement and stuff. And so I sort of said, all right, if we're going to draw like a marker that that modern like heavy metal is being this explosive thing that was just everywhere starts in 1983. So what if we looked at the years from like the late 60s up to 1983 and we looked at which of those years kind of were had more historical weight than others? Does that make sense? Yeah, yeah. And so that's kind of what we we sort of took that narrative approach and decided that we were going to you know, look and rate those years. And so we put together all kinds of lists, which we'll, uh, you know, we'll send some pictures on social media of some of our, our ramblings and scratchings and things like that. And Mark put his top 10 years together and I put my top 10 years together. And then we sort of basically made an average out of them. And that's kind of how we arrived at this. And so we decided to do this little mini prologue episode to kind of explain ourselves a little bit and kind of set things in motion so that when you started listening to these records, you knew exactly what, or not these records, but these episodes, you knew exactly what, what the heck was going on. Yeah. It's almost like a... So we didn't dip in this, too much on yeah, the first one. Yeah, exactly. We didn't want to take away from, you know, number 10 by like going through like 20 minutes of like breaking all of this sort of stuff down. And so, you know, it's kind of like when Mark and I did the, the, the big four episode where that was like turned into a, a two or three parter where we looked at, you know... Metallica, Anthrax, Megadeth, and and Slayer, and kind of had this rating system for like oh for the yeah you remember when we, we it was uh, what was it the big four in twenty sixteen yeah we looked at them in twenty sixteen but then we looked at them from a career arc you know we judged oh, like, right. album covers yeah. and different things so it was like a sports bracket we, yeah so yeah. we kind of had these weird arbitrary you know um, brackets and and you know reasons for doing this and we did the same thing with this and so it's definitely not foolproof and I'm sure. Uh, you would, you know, argue or debate with with some of our choices, but eh. well, we did with each other too. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, <laughs> just coming I mean, from different Mark, angles. Mark had one on his top ten that I didn't even have, and it was really high up for him. And, the, and his his explanation for it was really interesting. I was like, I hadn't thought of that from that perspective. So, you know, our criteria was we looked at historically important records, we looked at kind of so called masterpieces of the genre. Um, those obviously carried the most weight. But then we looked at, you know, which years had the most number of, like, so-called metallic releases. And some of these are not metal records. You know, certainly when you're talking, like, 68, 69, 70, no one was using that term. But they're, they're records that, certainly bands that grew up listening to them that be, form bands later. You can hear the rumblings of Yeah, where yeah, it comes I mean, from. it's there. It's hard blues. A lot of it's probably more amped up hard blues, if you really wanted an explanation for it. You know, and then we had this debate over whether or not the record was important then versus important now. You know, there's some bands like uh, you mentioned Bang, which Decibel did a Hall of Fame for. That's a record when I listen to it now, kind of like Pentagram or something. Where I'm like, man, that's an awesome record. But in, 19, really in 1971, did anybody know that record? You know, so not that that takes away from it, but yeah. it's just in terms of trying to like wait this out. And then obviously, there's an emotional side to things. You know, there's things that Mark and I like more than other things we just do it doesn't mean that we dismiss the historical importance of certain bands but 
as we have our personal sort of tastes and flavors and things like that. And so the song we opened up with from Arthur Brown there from, uh, you know, Fire, which a lot of extreme metal people know from the Cathedral cover. That was the first place I ever heard it. Mm-hmm. You know, um, that was... I, I saw in some movie. I Did think. you? I think, if I'm thinking right. Or he was on, like, The Muppet Show or something. Was he really? I think so. That would make sense. Or maybe sense. I'm just yeah. thinking, because that, that song was kind of a big deal when it came out. And I think in the early 80s again, it had some kind of resurgence from something. Well, and then I knew it too. Also, I didn't realize it until years later that uh, Prodigy had like sampled it for their song "Fire," mm-hmm. um, which again, you know, I kind of listened to Prodigy for like a couple years because they were like a thing in high school. It was you a know? huge, thing. yeah. I mean, when that what was Firestarter came out, Firestarter and Breathe and a few other, yeah, they had like yeah. a couple records in the mid nineties. It's were, like they got as big as Ministry should have got. Yeah, yeah <laughs> they were a little Off more Psalm sixty nine. Yeah, yeah. I mean, Psalm sixty nine was pretty big. For, yeah. for being as heavy as it was, but. But yeah, so that was from a year 68, which didn't make our cut. Um, 68's a little too early uh, in, in in sort of the countdown. Um, there wasn't enough you know things to maybe formulate it, but we wanted to highlight that's a cool song. We probably will never be able to do a an Arthur Brown show, I imagine, unless like some somebody we meet, like like a Wagner or something like that, was like, hey, I got a lot to say about Arthur Brown. I'd be like, okay, sure, but yeah. I don't have a lot to say about Arthur Brown. Um, I mean, most everything I know about him is mostly from. Uh, I'm listening to the audiobook of Bruce Dickinson's autobiography. Oh yeah, right yeah. Now. And he's you know he talks about him quite a bit. There's that. Uh, well, Sam Dunn Metal in Evolution the Shock episode. Rock episode. He's he's in there. Yeah. So I mean, he's he's definitely an important figure as far as like you know the Shock Rock, the Alice Coopers, and Kiss, and all that kind of you know. He's, oh, well, he's vocally, if he influenced Dickinson, that yeah that matters. He really know. belted out his well his vocals and in, in his range influenced Dickinson, but also his like stage persona, his, yeah, his sure. theater of the mind, as yeah, Dickinson would, calls it. I but. think he would actually light something on his head on fire. He had like a oh, I was reading something about it, but yeah, he has like you know Aboriginal face paint. And, mm-hmm. You know, yep. he looks like he's out of his mind on hallucinogens and stuff too. But he's almost like the next evolution when you go from like. Uh, Oh, um, he did. Uh, oh, he's a blues rock guy. Got a spell on you? Yes, Screaming Jay Hawkins. Screaming Jay Hawkins. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So you kind of go from there to like a guy like Arthur Brown before you get to the Alice Coopers and Kiss and, and things like that, and even like um, Genesis. Mm-hmm. Oh, sure. The stuff you know, Peter Gabriel was yeah. doing on stage was pretty wild. You know, I mean, even. I mean, Bowie would do some weird things, and, and to some extent, Jim Morrison, um, but not necessarily with costumes and, and things yeah. to that extent. They just had a stage persona. I mean, even Iggy was, sure. you know, Iggy had a big influence on that as well. But yeah, so we just thought, hey, let's pick a song to kick off the show that's uh, from a year that we're we're not going to really sort of highlight at all. Um, so that's kind of like the the scope of what we're going to do. So this is going to be just kind of like a little mini episode. Um, before we kind of talk about the the little mini set of music that we put together in this like prologue episode, I did want to kind of do a few sort of announcements and updates. This would be kind of the perfect time to do it. Um, just wanted to sort of send a shout out to a couple of new patrons that we have, um, uh, Johan Eric, and I could not find a, a, a full name for this person when I went on the Patreon site. Uh, it was just giving me the name Curse uh, with a K, which is kind of badass and very metal in a way. So you know who you are if you're a listener, obviously. And if you want to be a, a Patreon and become a supporter of us, just go to uh, www.patreon.com backslash Requiem Podcast and you can become uh, 
uh, a mighty Raven Dusk warrior. Yes. Yeah. And you can see a nice uh, photo of Mark and I, uh, you know, living life in a metal hot tub with some really cool fluorescent uh, weird That is lighting. not where we live. So. Yeah, not where we live. The former Godfather Mansion where we recorded some things there. But um, Patreon has been a big success for us, and so we really do appreciate everyone that's that's been able to do that. In fact, the money from Patreon has allowed us to do a couple of things that we wanted to sort of tell you about. One is, um, well, Mark, you can kind of tell, tell them a little bit about what we're doing with the Squarespace stuff. We're going to, yeah, we're going to move over to an actual actually have a physical website instead of just relying on our, our the previous place talks you that we're using is a fine service we've never had too much issue with them Until it's free recently. yeah but yeah but with their their servers crashed and we can't access a lot of our older episodes anymore so yeah, and a lot of people have sent me messages like how come i can't listen to i've tried to go back and i just discovered your podcast and i want to hear and it's like ah so that's the problem with free stuff's great but <laughs> it's you also get what you pay for yeah. so now we're gonna do uh we'll, we'll have a domain soon that we can start talking about uh, but we're gonna try to get all the old episodes up there so if you don't if you're a person that just wants to go through and scroll through and look at show notes we're gonna have that yep. you don't have to necessarily go through itunes but that, that way we'll have we'll own the infrastructure and uh, Squarespace basically has backup of all the stuff. Like we don't need to worry about it. Like we potentially yeah. do for this. Yeah, and plus it'll just be nice to have like you know the old website that Mark had before that crash too, where you did a lot of your artwork in addition yeah. to the Requiem stuff. That was just a nice. It was a it was a kind of gathering place if people wanted to, mm-hmm. you know, leave messages or you know things like that too. You know, so and we could correspond that way without having to necessarily do it through social media, which Absolutely. can get you know, yep. especially if you're doing anything where you say that you're trying that you're offering money or here's something to look at. It can sure. get squashed in results. So this way you can just go to the site and see what's going on. And one of the other things that we use some of the Patreon money for is kind of a shout out to a friend of ours from Mount Pleasant um, who's an audio engineer and he's actually a professor at U of M that does stuff with uh, the, the broadcasting audio department there. Um, and his name's Tim O'Brien. Uh, he's not necessarily a huge metal guy, but he uh, he's a guy we Mark and I and even Chris kind of grew up with. Uh, you guys more than me, I guess. Yeah. Because he's a little he's bit older. A year older than me. And he, um, we, we found a bunch of old interviews uh, that I did for Requiem, or actually, excuse me, for Eclipse Magazine, which was the sequel to, to Requiem Magazine, and I had him digitize some of the old microcassettes. And um, some of the quality on some of them is like better than, than others. I think, Mark, you said you checked out the Emperor one a little bit, and he, Tim had said that that one, Isan, was really hard to hear mm-hmm. uh, over the phone. But it's I, a phone interview on a microcassette recorder. With so. a guy from Norway. And yeah. I remember transcribing that interview, and it was like a nightmare, because his accent was tough, and I think it was just sort of thin to sort of hear things. But um, there's one with Chuck Schuldiner from Death, which is really cool in light of you know, him passing away, and some Blind Guardian ones. And what year was the Death ones. one? Death one was right on the Sound of Perseverance tour. Okay. So that was my, that was my first interview I ever did, and we went on their tour bus, and it was pretty overwhelming for sure. To speak, you know, because he wasn't like a small band; it was like the comeback of Death, you know, like yeah. their last record and stuff. So I was pretty geeked for that. That was so, right after Control Denied. It was kind of right when the, both those things were had been made. I don't okay. know if Control Denied had come out first or or after Sound of Perseverance, but we did talk about Control Denied in the interview. I do remember that. Okay. The okay. interview itself showed up in Eclipse number three because that's where my Blind Guardian, my Death interview. And I think okay. there's one with the Gathering too. So we're hoping, you know, now that we have like kind of cleaned up digital files on that stuff, to release some of that stuff for the Patreons, and then maybe eventually release those into the podcast feed 
for everyone to maybe check out. So, you know, if you want to become a Patreon, uh, that's, those are some of the, the cool things that we have coming up. In addition, I'm mailing out uh, some issues of Eclipse and Requiem to the people that have pledged $5 a month or more. Just kind of as an initial thank You'll you. You'll not get them anywhere else. Yeah, I was going to say, these are like the last issues that exist. I think between me, you, Mark, or you, me, and Chris, there's not much left out there. No, know? I mean, so. I've got probably... It depends on what issue. Uh, yeah, clip stuff I've got quite a bit of, but as far as early requiems, yeah, stuff, early requiems, there's those are few and far between. There's so. a drawer right there. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. I, uh, I those there's only a couple that I have multiple copies of, so it's more eclipses is what people are going to end up getting. But you know, and also the next go- kind of goal for us is to get once we get a little bit more, we're going to up our in the mic quality. Yeah, we're going to actually have our own. I've got a digital mixer that I've already got, but we're going to get some decent mics that because right now we're using this condenser that's. We've been using since episode one. Oh yeah! I'd like to really up the quality a little bit. Um, so we'll each have our own. We can adjust levels. It'll make it just a more robust, professional sounding. Absolutely. I want it to be more NPR sounding. Than- yeah. No. And I think as we're we're trying to kind of go a little bit more all in with some of that stuff, I think that would be a good thing to do. Um, and then just a couple of other updates. If you're interested in this kind of history of heavy metal thing that uh, we've sort of put together. Um, on social media, on both Facebook and on Twitter, I've actually been. Um, doing the history of heavy metal um, and you can follow it with hashtag Requiem Metal History and you can do that same hashtag for both Twitter or Facebook so if you don't use one or the other it, you know uh, they're kind of linked together and you can follow us on uh, Twitter at, at Podcast Requiem or Mark and Jason on Facebook and so I've been putting about four or five songs a day up which is cool and we're starting to get a little traction some people are starting to notice oh wow this is like a consistent thing and uh, I try and put like a, a little a little note or two about each song. I mean, you get limited space on Twitter, so mm-hmm. you know. Um, but it, it's it's pretty neat. So hashtag Requiem Metal History. If you want to go back and follow those from the very beginning, I believe I started with with Screaming Jay uh, from '57, and then I jump right into the '60s. I probably should have done more with the early blues, but you can't win them all. You know, it uh, is what it you is. You can make so, a whole show out of that. Yeah, exactly, oh, exactly. <laughs> and then another cool thing that we're doing, um, or that we just did actually over Christmas, but you guys won't probably hear until uh, early spring after uh, episode 200 is Mark and I have recorded a couple of really cool, fairly unique episodes for Requiem with our old manager who you might remember um, from the Stooges and MC5 episode, Mike Johnston, who is, um, he was our manager at the record store that Mark and I worked at and Chris was at as well. And he also teaches a lot of classes and he's on, on music history and he's, he's, He's an authority figure for me, you know. Like sure. when he speaks, there's there's a lot of uh, wisdom in, in some of the things he talks about. We did. Uh, I mean, he's in a lot of the stuff. He, well, the stuff that we're going to be talking about, he's was there when it happened. I was going to say he knows some of the stuff in this, especially his proto metal years. You and know? he's he's in it for the right reasons. Mm-hmm. He, you know, it's for the love of the music. It's not for anything else. Yeah, no, he's not. He somebody could make that, a lot more money doing something else. Yeah, he's like he could be know, doing like rock cover songs and stuff, but he's yeah. doing improv you know jazz stuff and things like that but we did an allman brothers episode and then an episode on peter green's era fleetwood mac which a lot of people maybe aren't familiar with that's the early years of fleetwood mac kind of before they went commercial with stevie nicks and stuff like that so a lot to look forward to uh after we round the corner with episode 200 and so um yeah so back to kind of this this list and countdown um we, when we did this composite list, we actually had a tie for number 10 between uh, two years. Uh, one year that you'll be hearing in the next episode, and then the year that we wanted to at least do like a mini little feature on, which is 1975. 
And so um, 1975 ended up technically in 11th place uh, for us. So, you know, it is what it is. We flipped a coin, I believe, or we actually, I think we looked at which one would we rather talk the most about. And so 1975, um, you know, you had Black Sabbath Sabotage came out that year. Welcome to My Nightmare from Alice Cooper. Uh, Scorpions in Trance, which we just did that two-part mm-hmm. episode on. The debut of Rainbow uh, from Richie Blackmore and Ronnie James Dio. Uh, two Rush records, uh, Caress of Steel and Fly By Night, and you're a, you're a big fan of those records, right? Oh, I love that stuff, yeah. yeah. I mean, so. I, I was, for years I was uh, not necessarily a closeted Rush fan, but I was like, eh. I mean, it was just like a, it was a, like almost a stigma. Yeah, yeah. But now I just like, I don't, who gives a shit? The r- records are great. I just yeah. didn't really care about the fans that sure. liked it, you know. And that happens sometimes. You but, know, yeah, I, but, I've had my... <laughs> There's there's bands I like that I don't necessarily love their fans or you know sure. or maybe last what year, they evolved into. Last year they came out with reissues of everything, so oh, I got a lot of stuff every, I've got every record. Yeah, because I remember you know at the record store you I remember talking about Rush sometimes and you were like, yeah. eh. <laughs> that's yeah, you know, but that's cool. That's I mean that's I'm I'm always evolving. I mean the stuff that we just did with the Almond Brothers like blew my mind to the point where I I bought twelve Almond Brothers records in the last two weeks. <laughs> I mean that's. You know, it's like you, sometimes we talk a lot about this. Like sometimes you don't listen to music; you hear it, but you don't actually like sit and like listen to a band. And, and then when you finally do, or maybe it's at the right time in your life, and it finally hits you in the right sort of way. Yeah. You know? um, Kiss Alive, which I mean, we're going to be getting to a song from that uh, in this set. But I mean, what can you say about the impact? Because you're you're probably the bigger Kiss fan out of the two of us. But Kiss Alive is a big. I mean, that's kind of that's kind of what blew them up, really. Mm-hmm. I mean the. I think I don't remember the a lot of the stories from that era, but I think they recorded like every show for I don't know how many how many different shows they did, but that was the the record that that kind of blew them up because they did a couple before that that I don't really know how well they were received because even at the time people kind of thought of them as a joke. Yeah, sure. But going back and hearing the stuff and not thinking about their image, I was like, it's just some solid just rock, rock songs yeah, yeah you know like exactly. it was just you know gravy on top that they look like demons and star child children and cats and space and the historical influence of of kiss is even if like you know as a extreme metal fan you're not as into you know the, the music maybe doesn't hold up as well you have to sort of say something about like the stage presence and the image and what that did for for the next wave of, of bands that grew up listening to kiss because mm-hmm. you you hear about a lot of these you know, guys in the '80s metal bands and stuff like that that like worshipped at the altar of Kiss. You know, and even if they're not maybe the most musically great band, like when you compare them to say like what Scorpions or Judas Priest were doing, they they still had a niche. You know, they well, still they played a, a role. They got know? people excited. Yeah, even if it's like you know, because I, I mean, I had Kiss T-shirts and shit when I was six, seven years old or something, mm-hmm. maybe even before that. And obviously, my parents didn't listen to the lyrics at all. Yeah. But that was the amazing part. But I was like, "Wow, these guys look awesome! They're like real life superheroes that play." The music was like secondary for me at, sure. the, at the time, but it, that like gets you in the door for. Maybe, I like rock music. Yeah, and what maybe else is that's there? Uh, yeah, maybe that's and, and they're a band I'd never ever really like been into. But you know, Slipknot has has always been I think targeted almost to like younger kids in a way or high school age kids. And there's a lot of image that goes into that band, mm-hmm. obviously, and they they are kind of a gateway for some kids to get into like heavier stuff. And so, even though I'm kind of like. I'm indifferent to a lot of Slipknot. I don't hate them. I think, you know, when I remove Slipknot's image from the music, some of the music's okay, but it's not, like, my cup of tea. But, again, I don't think it's made for me. You know, exactly. I'm sure, like, maybe people that were had grown up in the 60s listening to, like, 
Stooges, Yardbirds, Led Zeppelin, when like Kiss came out, I'm sure that older generation was like, what What the fuck is these bozos dressing up in makeup? You know what I mean? Yeah. And they probably listen to the, the, the lyrics or, you know, just juvenile songs about getting laid pretty much you know like basically yeah and there's nothing wrong with that but again it wasn't marketed to like the intellectual or something sounds crowd, like you know? you know phil Spector produced like you know they do then she kissed me yeah exactly like, the cover is like what yeah but it all made it all worked somehow well and like paul stanley and those guys i remember uh in the early 60s they were like big folky guys until the beatles showed up so they were listening yeah. to dylan and peter paul and mary and probably some of the early like girl group like phil Spector stuff you yeah. know and so, anyways, uh, yeah, I think Kiss Kiss Alive is a really big record. You had the, the solo debut of Ted Nugent, uh, UFOs Force It, um, a great Blue Oyster Cult live record that we'll talk more about here in a second. Um, and then uh, Aerosmith, Toys in the Attic, kind of like that's a big influence, especially on a lot of the 80s bands, the Motley Crues, and those bands really looked up to Aerosmith. Um, and I've even come around on some of that, those first three uh, Aerosmith records are actually pretty good. You know, mm-hmm. um, I know that's another well, the band. The shit in the late 80s is what really kind of soured everybody. Yeah, it's it's even not even the late 80s. For me, it's the early 90s. Once they hit like the Crying and the Armageddon soundtrack and, and stuff like that, you know, um, I can handle some of Pump and some of. Uh, uh, <sighs> Um, yeah, <laughs> yeah. Because I was in middle school, you know. I mean, yeah, so like yeah. I heard it like at a time where I was like in seventh grade. And Janie's got a gun seemed like a deep video. Well, know? like, like oh. in retrospect, I'm surprised that it was as big as it was. Yeah. There wasn't. I don't think there's a ton of bands that had like big hits in the '70s that kind of like just floundered and then like, and then blew up again like that. And and we talked about them in my rock history class at Run DMC had a lot to do with that. Yeah, absolutely. You know, that kind of brought them up back from like the brink of death and I think also getting off a lot of drugs helped oh, them that, a lot too helps. in their songwriting. So. Yeah. But yeah, so a lot of big records that came out in, in this uh, era in 75 and 75 is kind of a weird year. 75 is like this weird and it, I, I, it almost makes sense why it didn't crack our top 10 because it's this weird year where Judas Priest hasn't really like created the second wave of metal. In a way, Deep Purple and Sabbath. I mean, Sabbath just does sabotage here. They're pretty much running out of steam. You know, mm-hmm. I mean, th- those are both. I mean, say what you want about Never Say Die and uh, Technical Ecstasy. Like, there's some good songs on there, but they're pretty like focused. Like, or there's a lack of focus. Actually, too much cocaine. You a lot of cocaine. <laughs> yeah. Um, and so there was like this need for like a, a new, you know, a new wave of, of he, you know, of heavy metal, which will, will come a little bit later. But it's almost like this is like the the dying days of that first era mm-hmm. before the second era really takes off. So there's it's kind of a there's a desert, there's a dry desert to like some of the the metal stuff. You know, yeah. I mean, there's a few things like I said, but it's not like a heavy duty year. You know, so yeah, because this this is like heavy prog rock. Yeah, there's a lot of crowd going on. Yes, and Genesis, and yeah, um, I'm sure your uh, Emerson, Lake, and Palmer stuff was was big. You know, it's pre-punk, so punk hasn't even really injected anything sort of new in terms of speed and stripped down sort of stuff. So yeah, Um, you know, kraut rock was a thing, but like that's again, that's kind of more connected to the prog rock thing. I think in retrospect, your your bad companies and stuff are like the Eagles. I'm sure that stuff is like really you know golden earring, all that kind of shit. Yeah, which golden earring actually, I'll I'll go to bat for them. They're they're actually way better than people probably think they are. Better than Radar Love. Uh, Radar Love's actually a pretty sweet song, dude. That's that's like a I don't know. I'm I'm a closet golden earring fan. So, but yeah, so it's it's this weird like uh, primordial sort of middle 
kind of stuff that's happening here in like the mid 70s i would say so but mark and i picked out three tunes that we thought would be kind of a a nice little uh introspective or retrospective of, of a little taste of what 1975 where we had to have done a full episode would have done for us and we got cold gin uh live which you're a fan of cold gin that's a is that a song you said yeah it's a yeah. Song. his his stuff is usually where i'm usually drawn to at least you start out your gene fan yeah then you become Nobody's really uh, Peter fan too much. <laughs> yeah, um, and then then you go to Paul. Yeah, sometimes when you feel a little more sensitive, a little sensitive. You and then when you yeah. step back and think about it, it's like you know Ace wrote the best songs. Yeah, they were the most honest, the most they had the most attitude mm-hmm. to them. Like they were the hardest, I guess. Yeah. So, yeah. I just saw. A, oh man, I just saw a TV show the other day that had Kiss, had Paul Stanley, and uh, um, oh, it was a movie. It's that new dumb. It was on HBO. I just like caught the second half of it. It's got Brian Cranston in it and James Franco. And it's where he, James Franco's trying to date Brian Cranston's daughter. Oh God, yeah. And Paul Stanley and Gene Simmons are in it. It's pretty awesome. They're they're Jeez. part of the proposal, and then they come in, and Paul Stanley's like, uh, "I was I thought there was gonna be a buffet in here." And like he's like, <laughs> "I'm really hungry." It's it it's those guys will market whatever, yeah. you know, especially Gene, but. So yeah, we got Cold Gin live, and then we've got um, Blue Oyster Cult, which that's a band that we'll probably be doing, I would imagine, sometime uh, a, a show on, especially their first kind of uh, trio of records. Uh, and this is the fourth record, which is a live recording of those those three records. Mm-hmm. And this is a song called ME262, and I think I don't think the original is this long. I think they they really kind of go off and do some pretty badass solo stuff in this, and so it's a it's a nice uh, kind of warmer sounding record, which you kind of commented that. The live recording gave you a little bit more insight into Blue Oyster Cult because you didn't like some of the stuff with their the just the recording, recording. Some of the studio recordings got kind of flat. Yeah, and this this record, when I first heard this, I was just like, Jesus, this is yeah. Great. I heard this actually at the record store you worked at recently. Uh, okay. They were playing at UHF when we were in there shopping, and the guy had it on. I said, What What is this? And yeah. he's like, Oh, it's a uh, was it submission? And I, I didn't have it written down. Uh, it's got a limo on the front of it. Yeah, and a cool house. Uh, oh, on your feet or on your. Die. on your knees yeah it might be that so and it's uh it's a great live record and it's like a double live it's it's pretty cool so that's like if there's one blur cult record you should get so. yeah it's, this is a good starting spot it's almost like if you that's the first thing i got and then i went backwards it's like if you you know somebody didn't want to buy all the judas priests just have them buy unleash in the east and then they can you know go from there like, or something yeah. like that yeah so and then we're going to end with a song that maybe people aren't familiar with uh from a band called armageddon and it's um it's not the chris amott band it's not not christopher amott mike amott's uh group this is actually from 1975 and they're british and it's made up of two guys from a band that mark and i are pretty into that actually mike johnson the guy we were just talking about he uh he turned us on to called Steamhammer, and they were like a really cool blues rock band that really got into like King Crimson territory by the time their third record, uh, third or fourth record, Speech, came out. I think it's the third one. And the um, the the opening of this song is actually a play on a song from the last Steamhammer record, uh, Speech. Um, they're kind of doing some of the the stuff from it, and it's actually the name of the song was called Penumbra. Uh, and it was like a 20-minute song on that Steamhammer tune, and this is just an eight-minute piece. And Steamhammer had two two guys, uh, the guitar player and the bass player, did you say, were from uh, Steamhammer, and then the drummer was from Captain Beyond, and then the vocalist was Keith Ralph from the Yardbirds, which has really blew my mind. I've owned this Armageddon on vinyl for years and never put two and two together that it was Keith Ralph from the Yardbirds. But yeah, so it's uh, the guitar player... 
uh, and the bass player from um, Steam from Steamhammer Renaissance. Yeah, yeah. So pretty pretty nifty. And so we're gonna end with that, and then we'll come back, say our goodbyes, and uh, and get out of here. So this is our little small mini feature on 1975. So enjoy Cold Gin, ME262, and Buzzard from Armageddon.
That was Buzzard from Armageddon, and we had ME262 from Blue Oyster Cult, and we started things off with Cold Gin from Kiss Alive. And I forgot to mention this, but that 1975 was my number 11, and that was Mark's number 9. And so it was. And my birth year. Oh, yeah. My birth year, spoiler alert, won't make it. I won't tell you what my birth year is, but it, it doesn't It doesn't crack the top 10. So, um, so anyways, we, we kind of hope this, this journey over the next uh, 10 episodes is going to be something that you guys will enjoy. Um, if not, it's going to be a long If slog. not, it was, uh, yeah. <laughs> but I think it's going to prove to be kind of a, a cool conversation starter. And I think our, our whole focus, just so you know, when you kind of arrive at these episodes and you get to an episode and you go, how come, where's the Black Sabbath? Where's the Deep Purple? Where's the, the obvious stuff? Is, you know, Mark and I try not to be obvious. We want to, we, what our focus was is, hey, I found all this obscure, weird, strange stuff that n- probably wouldn't facilitate a whole episode of, of a band, mm-hmm. you know. And I know that down the road, um, you know, we'll we'll do, we've done Deep Purple, we've done Judas Priest, we've done Scorpions, we will do Sabbath, Rainbow. You know, these are these are bands that, you know, Mark and I have a lot to say about them. we got to figure out a way in where it's not like, okay, we've heard the song. I'm yeah, exactly, songs. exactly. So, you know, we you know unless we have a cool approach, we generally haven't, haven't done stuff like that. Like Same with, with like Maiden, like we did, you know, the, yeah, his, the history, history of, version yep, of Maiden. <laughs> yep. And, you know, I could see us doing like a show on Maiden's albums in the 2000s because that's mm-hmm. like a era that maybe hasn't been as explored or something um or we could do the gems of the blaze bailey era yeah yeah absolutely uh, <laughs> <laughs> few that they are there's yeah, a couple there's there. a few yeah oh. when we played a blaze song on the the history of iron maiden i remember i think the clansman we played oh yeah, yeah yeah so but um so we're going to be gearing more towards the non-obvious doesn't mean there's you know none of the stuff that we're going to be playing you have never heard of but our goal would be is to say, hey, when we do such and such here, here are these sort of diamonds in the rough. Here are a few maybe gems that maybe you haven't heard before Heard before that I think people might find interesting, um, which is kind of a cool thing, you know, that you could maybe get some new knowledge out of this. Because like I said, so much has been said about Black Sabbath. So much has been said about some of these bands that uh, we will mention them in the talk sets and certainly talk about the historical relevancy important of them importance of them but not necessarily play some of those tunes as well so uh but that's just a little uh you know public service announcement i guess before people like give us kind of some some negative feedback or whatever so this is a like i said just a prologue to kind of get you introduced to sort of what we're going to be doing in these next 10 episodes so um we kind of hope you enjoy this uh, as mark said or else it's going to be a long long journey and what we're going to sort of close out with tonight before we uh say our goodbyes is um the only other year that actually got a vote uh, that did not crack the, the top 10 was 1974. Uh, I believe it was my number 10, I think, and so it got one little vote. And so we figured as our, you know, saying our goodbyes, we usually have an outro song. Uh, we got a pair of tunes from uh, 1974 that we'll sort of close out with. Um, one is from Budgie, which is a British band that Metallica kind of gave second life to. I think that's the only reason, like our generation knows who yeah. the hell they are <laughs> yeah. from garage days revisited. Yep. And, uh, through, you know, doing this exploration into metal history, I went back and bought uh, a couple of budgie records, the, the whole things. And, and they're actually pretty, pretty cool. The one downside to budgie is some people don't love the, the vocals on it. And so I think Hetfield's vocals are a little bit more digestible with some of the covers of, of some of these songs that they've done, but the guitar playing and, and the, the, the songwriting is, is pretty incredible. Mm-hmm. And the record that came out in 1974 was in for the kill. 
And we've got a song called Crash Course in Brain Surgery that uh, Metallica fans will know from the Garage Days uh, record. That's how I found out who the Misfits were, too, is from yeah. that album. Yeah, so. and uh, that was the first place, I think, well, the, Am I Evil was on Kill 'Em All, but there certainly did. They talked a lot about bands like Diamond Head and Blitzkrieg and, and well, things like that. Well, that riff is like one of the most heavy metal riffs yeah, ever. Yeah, for sure, for sure. Um, yeah, and so Budgie, Budgie showed up with that, and I think my favorite Budgie song, which I, it's not from 74, I believe it's maybe from 73, is Bread Fan, and they do a cool cover of that as well, which I think they believe, they release as a single, um, on the Eye of the Beholder single. It was that where the, that cover of Bread Fan I thought, when up. I heard the original Budgie version, I thought it was a woman singing. Yeah, I mean, it's really, it's like very Getty Lee-ish, you yeah. know, like I said, the vocals are, are pretty, pretty... Pretty wild, but you know, there's still, like I said, some sincerity to what they're doing, which is pretty nifty. And then the last song we're going to kind of close with is from a band uh, from Detroit, we found out. I, I couldn't remember where these guys were from, and they're called Phantom's Divine Comedy with an appropriately named song for metal history called Welcome to Hell. And it comes from a record called Part One. And, uh, you know, you did a little bit of research into them, and. <laughs> it's pretty. This guy. Uh... <laughs> Arthur Pendragon, which if that name sounds familiar, it's from the Arthurian myth. Ah, uh, it's a BS name. This guy, I don't Stage know name. the yeah. guy's actual name is, but the only known picture of him is uh, Iggy Pop is on one side, uh-huh. and then um, Ray Manzarek from, oh, from Doors, the Doors, yeah, is on the other side. So there was this whole conspiracy theory back in the day that when um, when Jim, Jim Morrison died, yeah. He didn't really die. He faked his own death, and then he did this album. Oh my god! <laughs> so, which is complete bullshit. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah obviously, that's that's <laughs> pretty hilarious. And the guy uh, Mark pointed out sounds like Dan Swano if he was being like lazy on vocals. Yeah, if he had a cold or something, or you know, he's drunk. He's kind of doing like a, a mock vampiric kind of thing, uh, almost like you know what Peter Steele will do a lot better uh, in in the nineties. I'd be curious to hear the rest of the album because it's definitely got like a vibe of like. Merciful fate-ish, weirdish yeah. occult thing that yeah. for the time might have seemed scary. Yeah, and it's it's called Welcome to Hell, so it's not exactly you know like the, a song like that in 1974 with the might have been a little bit uh, you know upsetting to some people, yeah. at least controversial. But the guitar playing is really excellent. It's great. Yeah. yeah so I mean, there's there's a lot to mine out of this. But like I said, I've only ever heard this song uh, as we sort of came across it. So. Kind of a nice way to close out, like I said, just put a, a small little spotlight on 1974 since it didn't quite make the cut, but, you know, acknowledge that it tried to. So, but, um, all right, so this is not really a goodbye because this is going to be attached to our real part 10. But They'll come uh, at the same time. Yeah, but, you know, definitely if you, you liked any of the stuff from here, at least shoot us an email, uh, requiempodcast at gmail.com or uh, leave us a rating on iTunes. We just got a new one actually a couple days ago, which is really neat. So we appreciate that, star ratings and all that. They kind of help elevate our presence in the downloading spectrum and stuff mm-hmm. like that as well. So, uh, so for Requiem Metal Podcasts, at least this prologue, I am Jason. And I'm Mark. Enjoy.
Surprised you who 